0: All God's people said, Amen. That was a blessing. Thank you, Brother Kevin. appreciate that. I think we can just close the service right now. I feel good. (laughs) Acts chapter 20 in your Bibles. I want to share with you something this morning. Ow! It's also been working out. And after a while, Brother Kevin, it's just the two of us up here. They're going to get sick of us, amen. So I have to put fresh blood up here. Today, I want to share with you something that, uh, quite frankly, the Lord has been dealing on my heart. Something that I've been reading and thinking about, and I don't know how you are when you read your Bible, but sometimes I get stuck. I'm terrible with Bible reading schedules. I don't listen to them because I get stuck, and I read a passage over and over and over, and the Lord convicts and grips my heart. So I've always been bad with those, but that's okay. But this is something that, frankly, has been convicting me and encouraging me, and I hope it's a comfort and a blessing to you this morning. Most of you know that in this portion, this is a turning point for the Apostle Paul. You know, though the Lord has used him in establishing multiple churches, he's building and growing disciples, his heart always yearned for one thing, and it was to go back to Jerusalem. And it was at this crossroad, he met this wonderful, beloved group of believers. These believers in Ephesus, they loved Paul. They truly, truly loved him. They would die for him, and he loved them in return. And they all knew, most likely, they don't have the luxury we do of how the story continues. They assumed that Paul would meet his end in Jerusalem because, frankly, a lot of people already have. So what does this dear apostle say to these friends after everything he's been through and knowing what could possibly be coming, knowing that pain and torture and most likely death would await him? What would our final words be? If we thought our next words we would speak could be the last ones we would ever say to our loved ones, what would we say? I know what dad would say. Half of you in this auditorium have heard some variation of this, but he would say to me, and probably Rick, say, Andy, of all the sons I have, you're one of them. (laughs) Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's said some variation of that. Thanks, Dad. That that means a lot. Love you. (laughs) But what would we say? I can tell you what Paul said. Look at verse 22. And now behold, he's saying this to his beloved loved ones. Behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide in me. But none of these things move me neither count i my life dear unto myself so that i might finish my course with joy and the ministry which i have received of the lord jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of god wow what does a paul but what does a man like paul say after already going through so much persecution so many tears what does a man like Paul say when he looks to a very uncertain, frankly, scary future? He says what any child of God can say. None of these things move me. And it is this confession, this admonition that the apostle gives that I want to draw our attention to this morning. There are three things that I want us to see that never changed with this wonderful man of God. And number one, we see he was un. Offended. He was unoffended. Look at verse 24 again. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy. It's an interesting phrase. None of these things moved me. Well, the first, the very first thing that pops out of my mind when I read this is: what things? What is he talking about? What things could have possibly moved him? Look at verse 19 serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and the many blessings and joys, no, and the many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. You know, humanly speaking, if anyone had a reason to complain or be moved or set aside, it was Paul. But he chose not to go down that road. This word, he says, the word move means to be shifted or to be placed Aside, literally to be physically placed somewhere else. In our modern society, the vernacular would be to be offended. Well, oh, we love that word, don't we? Well, our society certainly loves that word. It offends me. Offended, that word literally means to cause difficulty, discomfort, or even injury. To be offended, to take offense, means to be shaken or to be displaced by something or someone. If you want a little fun thought experiment, just go home sometime and Google the definition of the word offended, and it actually says in the definition, to to receive a perceived offense. So it doesn't even have to be a real offense. It just has to be something, even if it's imaginary, it doesn't even have to be sincere or actual or real, even a perceived, I'm offended by this perception. It's all in your mind. I like to call it the moral outrage of the day. It's like, good morning, America. What are you mad about today, right? That's how our society is. What are you angry about today? And you know, the media wants you to be constantly shifted and moved. It's terrible. You know, one of our very perceptive young people yesterday during visitation said this, and I agree that though all the stuff with the submarine that you've been seeing in the news, it's terrible and it's a tragedy. I find it very interesting that everywhere I turn, It's only about the story right when there was things breaking about the president's son or the horrible things going on in our classrooms around our country. When all of this news, no, 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 don't look here, look here. Why? Because they want you to be shifted. They want you to be moved. It's so bad now. Everyone is so offended and so angry that I know that psychology is mostly hokum, but I still like studying it, like looking at it. Modern day, I mean pop psychologists, The top people, L.A., Los Angeles, New York, etc., are saying there's an epidemic of people who simply can't go to work. And we're not talking about low-level. We're talking about CEOs, executives, politicians, people in political power. People don't have the energy, the strength, or the mental acuity or health to even wake up and get out of bed in the morning. Why? Because they're constantly offended, and everything moves them. A few weeks ago... There's a teacher who wants a written apology from a third grader for misgendering them. They said, I literally can't go to work because of what this third grader did. It's like, you would never be able to work at VBS. Let me tell you that right now. <laughs> kids say things all the time. My fifth, I had a fifth grader come to me he's like, your head shaped funny. I'm like, well, your whole face, I can't say that. <laughs> but kids say whatever they want, right? But here's a grown adult who wants a written apology from a child. I can't go to work. You know, we shake our head, we laugh, but everyone today is shifting sand. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words incite violence. Your words will kill me. Well, I got news for you, buddy. Sticks and stones did break Paul's bones. And not only that, he had false accusations, lies, Despicable and evil offenses placed on Paul almost every day of his life. And yet, through all of it, he said, None of these things move me. He was unoffended. Now, listen, that doesn't mean those things weren't wrong. They were wrong. They were evil and unjust and wicked. And God sees those things and will punish those things one day. They were real offenses. But he refused to let any of that deter him from serving Jesus Christ. You don't want to know why everyone is constantly offended. You want to know why, when you turn on Twitter, it almost feels like your phone's on fire, like, eh. You want to know why? It's not complicated. It's because nobody has any peace. They have no security in who they are or their purpose in this life. They always feel like they're being slighted. They're being misrepresented. I'm being taken advantage of. They think they're owed something in this world. As harsh as it may seem, the truth today is we are owed only one and one thing. And that is a guilty sentence and separation from a holy God because of our sin. That is what we are owed. That is what we deserve. But God loves us. And he showed us mercy and grace despite all those things and offers peace Through our Lord Jesus Christ, Um, Marcella loves to quote this verse all the time in the office. It's our theme verse, but Psalm one nineteen it says, "Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing. Want to be someone like Paul, where none of these things move you? It's simple." To not be constantly offended, we have to just remember, number one, we aren't owed anything in this life. And finally, number two, even though we're not owed anything in this life, despite that, number two, God has given us everything. It's very easy in the flesh to say it's not fair. Sometimes you could be justified. It's not fair that I lost a loved one. It's not fair that I lost that job. It's not fair that I don't have the opportunities that that person has. I'm owed something. And you can be that bitter root today. But rest assured, just like everyone else in this wretched and miserable world, you will never know the peace of God in your life. And again, if anyone had a right to be offended, it would be the Apostle Paul. We, we, have, we have not received, frankly, an ounce of the suffering that he has endured in his ministry. And yet, through all of it, he said, none of these things move me. He refused to be displaced. He refused to be discouraged. Because those that love God and love his word recognize how good he has been to all of us. And we will not be moved. We will not be offended. But rather, we'll have great peace. It's your choice this morning. To be a person who is moved by every slight, every loss, every painful word that is thrown against you, even from God's own people. Or you can be someone who rises above it all and says, none of these things move me. Which leads to the second thing in this text that is crucial. First we saw that Paul was unoffended, but also number two, he was unattached. He was unattached. Look at verse 24 again. But none of these things move me, Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. That's an amazing confession. And you know, I told you how sometimes I I read a text over and over, and I pour myself through it. And it's because of this. I ask myself sometimes, can I really, really honestly say what Paul is saying here? There's no limit to what God can do through a person when they come to this place, this conclusion about their life. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. The problem is the temptation is strong to be attached with the things of this world. Look again at the phrasing. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. You know, that's an interesting word. That word means of priceless quality. It means to have it above all other things. So if you say, my life is dear unto myself, that's not saying, well, I like my life, or I love my life, or I even prioritize my life. When he says, I don't count my life dear to myself, he is saying that there is something that is infinitely more value than anything in my own life. And yet, if there's one thing that is more prevalent in our society today, is that always being offended is the fact that everyone is taught that life is about Number one. Numero uno, baby. Me, myself, and I. My favorite company. Heard someone say, It's my world, you just play in it. S- some of you may have heard this or said this to your children, but something my mom would always say when us boys were being particularly difficult is she, said, they, she would say, You just think the world is your oyster, don't you? And as a kid, it's like, Mom, what does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. Now I understand what it means, but you just think the world's your oyster. But you know, so many Christians and citizens of this country, definitely the people of this country, are so attached to their social profiles and their public image and their worldly reputation and their achievements and their education and their aspirations, they cannot have the confession of Paul that their life is not dear unto themselves. Some are too attached. And it's that very obsession that holds a person back. You know, with the loss, it's understandable. You know, why would they know any better? This life is all they know. This life is all they have. But a child of God with this mentality is frankly the opposite of what God desires. But listen, to be fair, all of us, especially this one, all of us are selfish beings. All of us fail. All of us, even Paul, confessed it in Romans from time to time, constantly fighting against that part of our human nature. But here's the question, do we fight the attachment to this world? Do we fight the attachment to ourselves or do we embrace it? If there's one thing that my mom would not tolerate at all in her home, it was selfishness. She hated it, she abhorred it, she loathed it with every fiber of her being. And the moment our selfish nature would rear its ugly head, oh, she would meet you down with fiery wrath, judgment, and indignation. If there was something in the laundry that could go in the dryer and you walk by it, you better grab those wet clothes and put them in the dryer, mister. You don't just walk by. If there's something to be done around the house, if you see a need, you fill a need. Does that sound familiar? It didn't matter if you were having open heart surgery. If someone pulled up to the driveway and there were groceries, you better stop what you're doing and you go help unload those groceries. I mean, <laughs> we got a few amens in here. A lot of people nodding their heads today. But the biggest thing, the biggest thing, and Rick, Rick will attest to this too, is if you come home with food only for yourself, dead man walking, you get on your knees and you say, in wrath, remember mercy that was the ultimate form of selfishness. If you brought like a bag of Taco Bell or McDonald's and she goes, I'm hungry. <laughs> Did you think about your mother slaving away uh, as you have a double cheeseburger in between your tea? I, I didn't really think. Dead man walking. But you know, I couldn't be more thankful for that. The problem is, I think she passed that particularly that particular sensitivity to us boys because I had a very hard time in college because the selfishness that I witnessed from people who say they wanted to be in the ministry it greatly discouraged me it shocked me now granted you go, you all know this I worked at McDonald's and other places and I wasn't shocked out in the world of course not but I was shocked by people who say they love God and they want to serve him I'm not perfect by any means again emphasize that enough. But some of it, I'm telling you, was just amazing to witness. One of the biggest ones, you might have heard it before, is just I I had a college friend, and he was having a really hard time in a particular class, Brother Bob Dalton's class, because he's a great teacher. He actually expects us to read the work and and know and retain information. The nerve of you, sir. The nerve of you. (laughs) I went up to him one time and said, uh, Mr. Dalton, I, I have a problem with my grade. Well, do you think it was grade unfairly? No, I just don't like it. <laughs> I just don't like my grade. <laughs> I deserve it. I just don't like it. Um, but he was always fair. But he was having a hard time, this, this roommate of mine. So I decided to help him because I had to go to the mercy of Mr. Dalton too, as well. And through a few weeks, I helped him and poured into him. And I said, listen, the only thing I ask and I request is I'm starving And, you know, they call it freshman 15. I lost 15 pounds. I starved to death. I don't know why, but it was just a long... I I missed my mother's cooking, okay? No one brought me McDonald's or Taco Bell. So, So, you know, he worked at a restaurant. So just bring... He always bringing home food and eating it in front of us. All of us star. We're just licking our lips. He's like, so how's it going today? So I'm helping him. So just remember to bring me some food. Okay, no problem. I feel like Joseph in prison. Years go by but then nothing happens, I'm starving, I'm wasting away. So then one fateful day, not only did he never bring me any food, and he got a better grade, by the way, he went up a grade, he went from a D to a C, so it's good, so that's passing. But I actually had received a care package from Beacon Baptist, thank you, it kept me alive, and I said, Andy Blaylock, do not touch. Very clearly, on the wrapping, on the talk, and there he was walking down the hallway with my food, with my name on top, eating my stuff! And I just, I could, does not compute steam coming out of my ears. I'm like, so I finally come up to him. I won't say his name because I think he's a pastor today. Anyway, I was like, what, what are you doing? It's like, that's mine. And he eats it and he goes, but I was hungry. I'm like, yes, but it's mine. And not only that, but I, I've asked you to bring me food, which you've never done. And not only that, but now you're eating my food, which I was going to eat right now. And you're just eating it right in front of me. And he looked down and he goes... But I was hungry. He said the same thing again. He didn't understand what he did was wrong. And I felt like I was going crazy. So who do you think I called? I called my mother. <laughs> Get him, Mom. But I said, Mom, I- I'm losing my mind. I don't understand how these people operate and how they live. My mom, in her infinite wisdom, who usually does, like, you know, destroy anyone at a whim, and great patience and restraint. He said, Andy, don't try to understand it. Because I was trying to fix him. I was trying to, like, reason with him. And Andy's mom's like, stop. Don't try and understand selfishness. It's a waste of time. But then, he, she, then she paused. He said, just make sure that you're not that person. And to this day, I ask myself that question. Am I that person? Is my life too dear to myself? Because when you look at your life, when you really, really look at it, is it like a river? Always giving, always sharing, always dispersing the blessings that you received? Or like one day when Dad taught Sunday school, is it like the Dead Sea? just takes and takes and takes, and it just stagnates. And I'm not talking about money. That's the cheapest of blessings. What about your heart? What about your time? What about your consideration of other people, their needs, their burdens, their hardships? Do these things ever come across our minds? Do we think about the words that we say, the things that we do, how our actions will affect other people? Or are we too attached to ourselves to be concerned? You know, selfishness is not something that we do deliberately to be mean or inconsiderate to other people. I don't think that guy chewing the food in front of me, I don't think he was being malicious. He was just an animal. And he was just hungry. Right? But selfishness is simply a lie that we have believed. It's the devil's lie and lost people and God's people practice that if they just look out for number one, If they focus on themselves, if they focus on their education, if they focus on their career and their success, if they heat to themselves their own treasures on earth, then, oh then, they'll be happy. Then, they will be content. You will know joy and love and peace. But it's a lie. Do we believe that? You know, selfishness is not something that's immediately visible. It's not shocking or gruesome, like murder or infidelity. But all the vices that you can list always arise from selfishness. It's the silent killer. It will destroy your life and everyone around you. Living for yourself is the only way to find true fulfillment. That's the lie. But the sobering reality and the blessed reality is the exact opposite. In the eternal words of our Savior, for whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Christ said he did not come to this earth to be ministered unto but to what? Minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. I've said this before, but the opposite of love is not hate. Love and hate can actually co- coincide because it's very passionate, very extreme emotions. Christ himself said I would rather you be hot or cold the opposite of love is not hate the opposite of love is a selfish heart those whose life is too dear to themselves because it's the antithesis of Christ himself who gave his life a ransom for many Paul said neither count I my life you know Paul was not a superhuman he was not a super Christian He was an imperfect sinner just like the rest of us. He simply was determined to be unattached to this life, to this world, and to be like his Savior. And we can and we must be like Christ if we are to be used and blessed of God and to find, as he says here, finishing your course with joy. Which leads to the final result of these two things. Number one, he was unoffended, he was unattached, And finally, number three, he was unashamed. Look at verse 24 again. But none of these things moved me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Wow. You know, why was he so determined to not be moved and not be all about himself? It's simply because of his devotion to testify the amazing grace of God. He had a purpose. When it comes to witnessing, when it comes to being a light in this world, if you don't care what people say or do, and if you don't care about yourself, guess what? You'll be unashamed. The possibilities are endless. Problem is, fear is natural. Fear is always within us. And the problem with fear is that it stifles, it paralyzes and it limits what we can do and accomplish for God. A few weeks ago, I was driving down Indian Town Road, which can we talk about how crazy Indian Town Road is now? I remember when it didn't take 30 minutes just to take a left onto Indian Town Road. Anyway, we won't go into that right now. There's my bitterness for the day. But Indian Town Road is crazy, and I saw a guy not just driving recklessly. You ever have those times in life where you see someone and it takes your breath away? It's such reckless driving. It's such terrible driving. It's not just like wow, he's going fast. Like they almost kill people. And this guy almost swiped into me and killed me and was going in and out. And you're just looking around like where where where's the five oh? Get him, get him. And the problem is he was swerving, going crazy. He wasn't getting anywhere. You know these people when they're always swerving around and going nuts, they end up like right next to you at the same light, right? So the guy was right there and I'm kinda like oh going like But I thought to myself Should I, like, do something? Should I take a picture of his license? He was going to kill someone. Seriously. Maybe I should do something. Take his license. Call the cops. Do something. But guess what? I was scared. My heart was still from the fact that I was still alive. And all I wanted to do was get out of there. But that's what fear does. It's natural. But that's why when we do things that are unnatural, like being bold for Jesus Christ... God enters in and does the supernatural. He's the one who gives us boldness and strength through his son because of our purpose, because of what he's given us to do. And we will do things we would never do in and of ourselves. Paul didn't speak this confession just so that people would say, wow, what a great God. None of these things move me. I dare anyone, come and get me. Come on Satan, come down here. I'll I'll tell you what for. Is, Is that what Paul was doing? None of these things, you're going like this, and they're all going, "Oh, oh, Paul, you're so amazing. Yes, I know. Where's the autographs? You know, come here, come here. You know, shake hands and kiss babies. No, that's not what he was doing. He wasn't prideful. He wasn't boasting in himself. He wasn't looking for praise. He was looking toward a place. He was looking toward Jerusalem. You know why? You know why he was so bold? He had a job to do. He had a purpose in this life, and nothing, nothing would shake him from it. And, you know, that purpose didn't fill him with fear. It excited him. It filled him with energy, with hope, and with boldness. And I'm convicted of this all the time. But are we excited that we get to serve God, that we received a salvation that we don't have to worry about losing? then we can watch the news and we can simply laugh at the predictions and the doomsday scenarios and not worry. Because no matter what happens in Jerusalem, Christ has won the victory for you and for me. And we should not be ashamed of who we are and why we are in this world. It should excite us. And it should fill our hearts with purpose and meaning. In a few weeks, we're going to have VBS. We already have 300 and... 40 signed up, Kevin? Three, 50 now? Okay, are we going to shut off the registrations? Are we doing that? No, we're just going to let them come in? Okay, yeah, build it and they will come. 600, why not? We can have them hanging up on the rafters, you know, it'll be fine. Um, 350 now signed up. <laughs> but it's a great time. You know, I've thought about this for years, but there's just a special feeling during that week, and I've always tried to encapsulate or understand why. I think one of the reasons, if not one of the greatest reasons, because we as a church get to spend a whole week being unashamed of Jesus Christ. Monday through Friday, we're coming in and we are singing and teaching and sharing the praises of our great God. And we get to tell young people what God has done in our heart and life for a whole week. No shame, no wondering like, oh, so I'm going to call the cops because we're knocking on the door for visitation. Or, no trepidation, just absolute open rejoicing in God for a whole week, and it's a beautiful thing, until Tuesday, then we're all exhausted. (laughs) But at the end, every worker will tell you this. Every single worker will tell you this that worked in VBS. At the end of it, on Friday, there's always at least one kid who says, can we do it again next week, right? And you're like, oh, get out of here. (laughs) No. But it's the sweetest thing, right? Why? Because the kids are excited and it's not just and honestly, it's not just it's the food and the games and the fun Because they get to come and hear about the Lord and they're pumped Can we do it two more weeks? Are we like them? Are we excited? Even though your job may be dark I'm sure many of yours are is Even though young people some of you your school is the den of iniquity Brother Andy I'm homeschooled exactly No matter how dark the world is around you, you can be excited because you are a light in a dark place. And God will use and is using you right now in ways that you don't even know. And that is exciting. Think about this. God created forces in this universe infinitely more powerful than any of us. But yet, he chooses to use our hands, our lips, our lives. Don't let the darkness of this world cause you to be ashamed of who you are. Even fellow Christians, some people may be filled with fear and they try to discourage you. But you don't have to be. You can be excited to serve Jesus Christ and to be unashamed of it wherever you go. I'll say this and I'll be done. When you read about these great men and women in scripture, there's, there's a temptation to feel a little Intimidated. But you have to remember, there's nothing in them that they have inherited, nothing they were given, nothing they were blessed with, nothing they were bestowed that you don't have access to right now. The thing that connects all of them and us is the power that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, more than anyone else, probably more than anyone else, kind of seems like a man that we would call larger than life, right? His pedigree his vision, the things that God did through him. He wrote almost half of the New Testament. He just seems above our station. Remember what the scripture says. It says that his bodily appearance was weak. It said his speech was contemptible. But through his success or shortcomings, there was only one thing that mattered with this man. And that was his love and devotion to his Savior. And it's because of that he was unoffended. Because of that he was unattached. Because of it he was unashamed. At the halfway point of 2023, some of you have had great triumphs and blessings. Some of you have had many trials and tears, as I have, as my family has. But we can say through all of it, none of these things move me. We can confess that our life is not dear unto ourselves. We can boldly testify of the grace of God, but why? Because God was not simply offended by and punished us for our sin. He could have, but he showed us mercy. Jesus Christ was selfless. He didn't count his life dear unto himself, but he came down and he humbled himself and he gave his life a ransom for many, for us. And he granted us this wonderful gospel, this grace of God that gave us the power to become his children, and he gives us the strength to be unashamed for him. Because God did all of this for us, we can be faithful to him. And we can say, like the Apostle Paul, none of these things move me. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, no one looking around this morning. I told you at the beginning that this is something that the Lord has deeply been moving in my heart and life. If you say, Brother Andy, I am saved by the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has spoken to my heart about something. Would you raise your hand high in the air as a testimony to the Lord? Amen. God bless you. Many, many hands. I am the Lord. Fear not. We have no reason to ever have hesitation or trepidation or fear in this world to be moved or to be set aside because of the amazing thing God has done and is doing for us. Read someone here this morning. May not understand a lot of what I said because you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Paul was not a man who was talented, or particularly blessed in natural ways, he simply was overwhelmed by the love of God and what he'd done for him. There was even a time in life where he was directly against God, but he heard the truth that Jesus Christ died on the cross for his sins. He accepted who the Messiah was and what he had done. And for many of you here this morning, you may not know, that Jesus Christ can be your Savior this morning. Well, he can. It's the whole reason why we're here. The whole reason we do VBS is not to boost numbers or fill in pews. The only reason any of us are here this morning is because of what God has done for us. You say, Brother Andy, I don't know if I've ever trusted Christ as my Savior. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to call out in your you, but just put your hand in the air just so I can pray for you. Brother Andy, I'm not sure. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I encourage you to do business with the Lord if he has spoken to you. We never have a reason to be offended or attached or shamed because, as he said in verse 24, because of the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you. For this time this morning, I ask, Lord, you work in my heart all our hearts to always know we always have a reason a reason to be here we don't operate as the world does we have received a higher calling and that is to love you and to serve you and to give praise and honor and glory to you help us lord in the midst of a dark shifting constantly tumultuous place to never be moved be set aside, to be displaced, but to always say, none of these things move me because of you. Thank you for this time. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org That's beaconbaptistchurch.org May the Lord bless you.